I remember it well. It was a day not so much different than today. I was outside. I was seventh grade age, give or take, somewhere in that area. And I was shooting baskets. I was the only family member that had any interest in sports. My older brother, all my younger siblings didn't. I think maybe my dad had when he was young and in school. But outside of that, you know, uh, the Fangman family uh, and sports, yeah, yeah, there wasn't much of that. But I was interested. And so what dad had done is he had taken an old uh, piece of uh, plywood, thick piece of plywood, and painted it. And he hammered it onto uh, a post, and, and he got the rim of a wheel of an old car, you know, and the, 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 the rim was like that wide, so I have no idea what year of an old car it had come from, but he took everything out that was on the inside, and uh, he fastened that to the piece of plywood, and that, that was all I had, you know, as far as shooting hoops in my yard was concerned. And uh, so I was out there, and I was, I don't know, making up some game and, and playing. And, and then all of a sudden, it happened. I heard something, and I looked over toward the house. And around the corner of the house, my sister, my next younger sister, come running. And she was running scared. You know that look, right? You've seen that before. People, people that run, and they're not just running to run. They're running scared. She was stumbling, and she was having a hard time keeping her feet underneath of her. And, uh, but, and she had this look on her face. It was just like, all right, I hadn't seen that look before. And she was kind of coming my general direction. And, and no sooner did I notice that than I saw what was chasing her. It was my mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, mom was running. And the reality of the matter is mom was gaining ground on her. Now, I, I got to point this out because in my mind, it's significant that up until that point in time in my life, I'd never, ever seen my mom run. <laughs> and the reality of the matter is I'm not a seventh grade age anymore. And, and my mom's still alive today. And since that time, I'd never, ever seen my mom run. It's the only day I had ever seen her run. And she was gaining on my sister. Those of you that know my sisters, this one was Gail. She was gaining on Gail. And she caught her, right, not too far from me, underneath the clothesline. That's where she caught her. And she grabbed a hold of her, and it's at that moment in time I spotted what was in my mom's hand. It was a bar of soap. <laughs> it wasn't wrapped like this one. It was unwrapped. And at that moment, she did what I had only heard of happening because this wasn't a disciplined technique that was used in my family up until that date. And, uh, and she washed out my sister's mouth with soap. And I was just standing there holding the basketball because what I was watching was a whole lot more interesting than shooting hoops. <laughs> you know? and, and I was just like, whoa. You know, and, and mom, she kind of took on herself discipline of my sisters, but uh, when it came to me and my older brother, she always left that up to dad, and dad used other things than soap to uh, discipline us. 
But here I am watching this happening, and, and I don't know how long it happened or how many times the soap was being rubbed around in her mouth. And then eventually mom let go of her, and she walked back to the house. And Gail, she was leaning over, hacking and spitting, and, and I was just like, whoa, I got to get to the bottom of this. So I uh, found out from my other sister that, uh, that um, Gail had been smart-mouthing mom, back-talking mom, and that was something you did not do. That was one of the cardinal sins in our family you did not do. So she got her mouth washed out with soap. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in here today, but I am going to assume that there is a percentage of people in this room that have had their mouths washed out with soap. And even as I'm telling that story, and I never have, so I, I uh, fortunately have not had that taste in my mouth. But, but for some of you, even while I was telling that story, you were tasting it again, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, it left a memory. Yeah. It's funny, I was thinking about this and that I was going to open up the message today in this way um, on, on Monday. Monday night, we had a, an elders meeting down in my office, and there were five elders. And, uh, um, and so I asked the question. I said, how many of you guys have ever had your mouth washed out with soap? Now, I've already told you that I have it, okay? And there's five uh, in all uh, elder leaders in the church. And uh, 40% of them <laughs> raised their hand. I'll let you do the investigative work if you need to figure out which ones have actually had that happen to them. Today we're starting a new series of messages, and the title of the series, you see it up on the screen, you already saw it on your bulletin cover, Better Relationships. And this is kind of a continuation, or should we say an extension, of the series that we just finished. Together Again was a four-part series we just finished. We're, we're not totally free and clear from all, you know, um, indicators of the COVID virus, uh, but, but yet at the same time, because of vaccinations and stuff like that, things, things are starting. The wheels are starting to turn again, you know, not just in the community and activities and workplace, people work, going, not just working at home, but working um, in the workplace again, and, and, and even in the church, you know, there, there were certain aspects of the life of the church that, that really slowed down during all this, and, and it's starting to gain momentum again. So we were talking about the importance of small groups and being a part of those, those fellowship meetings. Where we were talking about ministry teams serving alongside one another. We were talking about the biblical principles of how Christians are not to be lone rangers. But even for that matter, Lone Ranger had Tondo, right? You know, we, we need one another. It's a biblical principle. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last month. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to transition into a six-part series entitled Better Relationships, where we're going to kind of take the whole subject of interactions and we're going to take it to a whole uh, deeper level as far as uh, a personal level and talking about some of the applications and principles that we need to be aware of. They say that the average person opens his mouth, and this is what we're talking about today is our mouths 
our tongues and the things that we say. They say the average person opens their mouth 700 times a day to say something. I'm not saying open your mouth to eat. We'd have to add a whole additional number of 2,000 or something to that number if we we're going to talk about eating. But uh, um, 700 times a day, the average person opens their mouth to say something. Initially, that sounds like a really big number, but I think of some of the days, busy days that, that I've had, and it's like, yeah, 700 actually seems like kind of a small number. you know. But this is the average, 700 times a day. And you know, the thing is, a good amount of time, most of us hardly give a thought to what it is that comes out of our mouth when we open it to speak. Most of us don't, don't really delay the thought much. A thought enters into our mind, and practically, simultaneously, it has found its way to the tip of our tongue, and it's being spoken. Just a tiny fraction of a second, maybe, that passes between when the thought is conceived and then it's spoken. Our thinking is, it's not that big of a deal. Words are just words. Once you speak them, they're kind of like water vapor. They'll kind of dissipate and disappear. It's like no harm, no foul. Here one second, gone the next second. Not much to them. At least that's what we think. Or that's what we like to think. But here's the thing. When, when as, little, as little of the amount of emphasis that we give to our words, when we open God's word and we look at that, you know, the, the small amount of emphasis we give, the Bible goes the other direction and gives a tremendous amount of emphasis to our words. Let me just give you a couple springboard passages. These aren't ones that we're going to spend a lot of time developing, but just to kind of get the ball rolling here. James chapter 1, verse 26 in the New Testament, it says this, If a person thinks that he is religious but can't control his tongue, he is fooling himself. That person's religion is worthless. That's a pretty strong statement that's being made there. But we begin to understand a little bit as to why that strong statement is made when you consider something that Jesus said. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus said, I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Well, that kind of makes you swallow hard. You know, and you think about that. Every careless word? Why? Why would that matter so much? Well, Jesus had already spelled out in the context as to why it mattered. All you got to do is back up two verses. Jesus said this, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why our words, whether they're careless or they're not careless, that's why they matter, is because of where they originate. And, and there's more. There's so many more verses. The book of Proverbs is a book that is well known for um, talking about our tongues and the way that we speak. As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, I led a group study and, and uh, um, I kind of wrote my own curriculum for it and came up with uh, 12 or 13 main themes that are found in the book of Proverbs uh, that keep popping up over and over and over again. 
And so that's what we had. We had 12 or 13 lessons, you know, of studying Proverbs by studying the themes that are found there. Well, one of the themes is your mouth, the way that you talk. And, and the number of times that it makes its appearance in the book of Proverbs made it number two on my list. The second most frequent, frequently mentioned theme. There's like 150 to 170 verses in the book of Proverbs that talk about your mouth and the way that you talk. So it's a subject matter that is dealt with a lot. So you can't make any other conclusion than this. The way you talk matters. Looking at this from God's perspective and what he has to say in the word, when you consider the few, th few verses that I've already shown, um, you get this message. The way you talk, the way I talk, it really does matter. So let me kind of rattle off a few of these that are found in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs chapter 15, A good man thinks before he speaks. The evil man pours out his evil words without a thought. Proverbs 16, Intelligent people think before they speak. Proverbs 17, the intelligent person restrains his words. And one who keeps a cool head is a man of understanding. Proverbs 18, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. Now that comes from the message translation. Proverbs 21, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Proverbs 25, the right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. I love the way that's phrased. It really creates an image in your mind. Proverbs chapter 29, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, in some respects, it may seem like, wow, you just covered a whole lot of scripture. No, that was only eight. That was just eight we went through. And like I said, there's like 150 to 170 of these scattered throughout Proverbs. But you get the idea. You've heard the expression, you are what you eat. Okay, I don't know where that ever originated, but, uh, but the reason, you know, the expression has kind of stuck around as long as it is, is because it's not hard to, to understand the truth of that. Our physical bodies, to a degree, reflect our diets. Now, I know genetics plays a big role in all of this in that as well. But the way you eat certainly, you know, impacts um, um, the physical appearance of your body. Well, it's just as true that our mouths reflect our hearts. Jesus had said, out of the overflow of the hearts, the mouth speaks. And so, so what we can easily just just as easily say if we want to create an expression and kind of credit it to Jesus, we can say, you are what you speak. Because that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. That what you speak, these, these are words that are very telling about you as an individual and about me as an individual. But, but you know, people, including each one of us, we all have excuses we have excuses about the way that we talk, whether our talk involves a bunch of gossip, whether it involves cursing, whether it involves criticism, complaining, or whatever. 
You know, people all the time come up with excuses. Like one person might say, well, I worked at the railroad for 25 years. And boy, if you heard the way all these people at the railroad talk, then you'd think my talk is pretty mild in comparison. Yeah, at the railroad, everyone there, they talk in such a way that it would make a sailor blush. So that might be an excuse that is given. Or someone else might say, well, you hadn't spent any time around my dad. I grew up around my dad, and my dad, it was like every single sentence that came out of his mouth was laced with at least one four-letter word. So the apple, I guess, doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, I was conditioned by my dad, you know, to talk the way I am. Yeah, it's, it's always easy to come up with excuses. It's kind of like someone once said that excuses are like armpits. We all have two of them, and they usually stink, okay? They, they really, uh, they're excuses. That's what they are, excuses. If you are griping, if you are complaining, if you are criticizing, if you are cussing, if you are gossiping, you know, chronically, like about every time you turn around, that kind of stuff comes out of your mouth. The problem is not here. The problem is here. And that's what the Bible teaches. It's a deeper problem. Your words are a reflection of who you are deep down inside. So in looking at this whole subject matter in the Bible, I think that there is a very basic yet clear and important message that is communicated. Three helpful rules Three basic helpful rules regarding our tongues. I, I, it's clearly found in Proverbs, but I think this, what I'm getting ready to share, is found in the New Testament as well. Here they are. Number one, talk less. This is where it starts. Talk less. And uh, if you were paying attention when I rattled through some of those in Proverbs, you know there were a couple of those that talked about that very thing right there about biting your lip. Um, for example, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Okay, so it doesn't say talk less, but yet that's what it says. It says that you, you and I both, we, we need to talk less. And there's plenty more. You've got uh, other ones we haven't looked at yet, like Proverbs 11, verses 12 and 13. It says, It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets. But those who are, are trustworthy can keep a confidence. And so what it's saying there is, is just button up your lips. You know, it's just talking all the time isn't. Here, here it's carrying the same thought in Proverbs 12. Wise people keep what they know to themselves. But fools can't keep from showing how foolish they are. Or Proverbs 18, verse 2, a fool does not find joy in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Listen, the Bible is saying that sometimes some things are better left unsaid. Plain and simple. Some things are just better left unsaid. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to have the last word. You don't have to comment 
on every situation or every discussion that is going on. You don't have to participate in every conversation. You don't have to straighten everyone out. Verses, like all these verses, you know, are driving home this very point. Sometimes the course of action, that is the prudent course of action, is just bite your lip. Right now is a good time to bite your lip and not say anything at all. But it's not like you're not doing anything at that time. The Bible teaches we need to listen more. And that was one of the verses that we looked at earlier that that characterizes this point real well. Um, Proverbs 18, where it said, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. We Talk less, listen more. Back in April, I did an entire message, you know, that was entitled Learning to Listen. Um, I didn't title it this way, but it was almost titled it The Fine Art of Listening. It's kind of a lost art. Because people get so caught up in hearing the sound of their own voice. And whenever a conversation happens, it's, it's like if they're not hearing their own voice equal time, if not more than equal time, than the other voice or voices that are participating in the conversation, then, then they feel like well, they're not doing what they should be doing. But the reality of the matter is the Bible says something very different than that. The Bible says that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak that we need to we need to listen more it'll make a difference in any relationship it'll make a difference in all of your relationships whether it involves your home and your spouse whether it involves with your kids whether it involves with your coworker or it involves that guy two houses down on your street that you don't maybe always see eye to eye with Listening, being a good listener can make a big difference. And in the New Testament, it spells that out. It says in James 1, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We kind of turn that around and we're quick to speak and slow to listen. But that's not what that verse is saying. In fact, that's directly the opposite is what that verse is saying. But there's something else that the Bible emphasizes just as much, and that is to weigh your words. You and I both are to weigh our words. We are to think them through. We are to process our words. Like I said earlier, the mistake that a lot of us make is that as soon as a thought enters into our mind, it's seemingly instantaneously finding its way to the tip of our tongue and it's being spoken. Without having thought it through, without having weighed what the ramifications are, what the impact's going to be, the reaction's going to be among some of the people that are about to hear what it is that we're about to say. So many times people don't give that any kind of consideration, but yet that's the very thing the Bible says you and I both need. If, if relationships matter to us, that needs to be at the top of the list that we are giving consideration to the ears of people around us and what they're about to hear come from our mouths, whether it be our children or whether it be a co-worker, or whether it be our spouse. 
We are to give thought. Proverbs 16, verse 23 says, intelligent people think before they speak. This is why there are so many verses that talk about how fools blurt out this or that and speak rashly. And, you know, it's drawing a contrast here between intelligent and foolish. Or Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3 says, Those who are careful about what they say protect their lives, but whoever speaks without thinking will be ruined. This approach can be beneficial. This approach will be beneficial, like I said, for any of your relationships, even for people that you hardly know, maybe that coworker that kind of keeps to himself or keeps to herself all the time. Uh, it can be really beneficial and impactful with them as well. But instead, if we want, we can do just what comes natural, and we can shoot from the hips, and we can allow our emotions to pull the trigger on our tongue time and time again. And it's like, yeah, but we've been down that road before, right? Just allowing our emotions to trigger our tongue. And that does not lead in a very healthy direction I want you to see this verse Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 it says reckless words pierce like a sword you may have never thought before of your tongue as being like a sword but deep down inside I think uh, um, it is and I think deep down inside you know that it is uh, l- let me let me just ask a question how many of you have ever been in a fist fight Okay, go ahead. Yeah, all right. All right, a number of people, you know, in here. Now, as an adult, I do not think I've ever been in a fist fight. But if you go back to junior high, you go back to high school, oh, yeah, yeah, there were fist fights, you know, that I got involved in. And a fist fight can be painful, especially if your opponent lands one or two or more. You know, if they hit you in the face or something, it can really daze you. It can ring your bell. I mean, you literally feel like you're seeing stars. They hit you in the nose, you know, and boy, that can, that can you know, be something that, that dazes you real quick. But the reality of the matter is that the hardest wounds to heal from are not the kind of wounds that are inflicted with a fist. The hardest wounds to heal from are the kind that are inflicted with the tongue. And as I mentioned that, some of you right now are thinking of certain things that maybe a parent said to you. And it might have been years ago. It might have been 10, 15 years ago, or maybe 25, 35 years ago. But you had something that a mom or a dad said, and boy, it was sharp. It was brutal. And it cut deep. Now, with a fist, if you get hit in the face, you're going to recover from that, right? I mean, that's why you have these ultimate fighters and boxers and stuff like that. You know, after one of their matches, you know, they they can really look in bad shape. But then you find out, you know, a couple few months later, they're right back in the ring again. And they're fighting. See, they've healed up. But it doesn't work that easily when it comes to the kind of wounds that come about as a result of people's words. So whether it was a parent or maybe it was a spouse 
You know, for relationships to be meaningful and deep, the thing you got to do somewhere along the line is you got to make yourself vulnerable. You got to put the walls down. Otherwise, you're never going to have depth in your relationships. But when you put the walls down and you make yourself vulnerable, um, and you know, you know where I'm headed with this, that can be risky because somebody can take advantage of that and they can hurt, hurt you deeply. And so for some of you that are in here, when I talk about the wounds that come from things that, verbal things uh, that have been thrown your direction, some of you are thinking about a spouse. And you're thinking about how deeply you've been hurt, the mean-spiritedness in what was said. Or others of you maybe are just thinking back to the days of school and kids can be brutal with one another. A lot of you know I like pocket knives. You know, I've always got a pocket knife. I feel kind of like I'm naked if I don't have a pocket knife um, in my pocket. And I come by that real natural. Dad always had a pocket knife. And so even standing up here, I've got a pocket knife. But, you know, the thing about pocket knives is, especially when you get one new, if at the factory they did what they were supposed to do, it's going to come with a really sharp edge, right? And some of you, you know, take a lot of pride in sharpening knife blades, and even when it comes from the factory, you give it some attention and make it even sharper, you know, than what it was, which uh, is really handy. But if you're careless with the pocket knife, what ends up happening? You end up having a bunch of cuts. I mean, there's sometimes, you know, I'll get a new pocket knife and within a two or three days, I've got two or three cuts on my fingers. And it's not intentional, obviously, but it's just like certain kinds of knives are fidget friendly, you know, and so you're kind of playing around with the knife. Next thing you know, whoa, I didn't even feel that when that one happened, you know, and it's like uh, get out some of that liquid skin or super glue or do it the old-fashioned way with a Band-Aid. And, and, uh, but uh, a knife can definitely uh, be hurtful if you're careless. Well, the Bible says that your words can be hurtful if you're careless. They can be like a knife. They can be like a sword. You don't want to be that person that, has, that is leaving in your trail a bunch of wounded people because of the careless ways you've been talking. Again, whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be with total strangers, you know some of those people. I'm, I'm going to step out and guess that the majority of us in here, we know some of those people that are careless with their words, and they'll wound people, and they won't give it a second thought. You don't want to be that person, though. And that's why you need to not just give it a second thought, but you need to give it a pre-thought before the word even comes out of your mouth. You see, the thing I think that is helpful in all this is we need to consider the potential. Because so many times when we talk about our tongues, we talk about the negative side of this, the potential damage that our tongues can create. But there is a flip side to it. There is a positive side. There is a beneficial side to it all. 
I just showed you this verse, reckless words pierce like a sword. And when you look at it, it says, um, chapter 12, verse 18a. And whenever you see that on a reference, what that is meaning is I'm drawing attention to the first part of the verse. Well, that means there's a second part on this verse. So let's look at the verse in its entirety. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but here's the contrast. The tongue of the wise brings healing. There is the potential. Yeah, your words can hurt and they can hurt deeply, but the truth of the matter is your words can benefit and they can benefit tremendously. They can bring healing into people's lives. Proverbs 16, verse 24, pleasant words are, are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Back in ancient times, the sweetest substance that was known was honey. And so the writer of Proverbs, he was referencing the very sweetest thing he could think of. Now, maybe today someone would use a different word, you know, but, uh, but that was his intent. And one last verse, and boy, this, this is a good one. Ephesians 4, verse 29, found in the writings of the Apostle Paul. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. The word unwholesome comes from a word that was used pretty frequently in everyday life in Israel back in that time. For example, there were a lot of vineyards around, and if a cluster of grapes had broken off of the vine in some way and was just laying there in the dirt for an extended period of time, you know what would happen. It would soften, it would rot. There would very likely even become eventually some mold there. Those grapes would be rotten. This is the word you would use to refer to rotten grapes. Or, you know, the fishing industry was a big thing around the region of Galilee, and so spoiled fish. You know, if someone had caught fish and could have provided a great meal for someone, but for whatever reason, it was neglected for an extended period of time. It wasn't intentionally dried. It wasn't cooked or anything like that. It was just neglected. That fish would be spoiled. It'd be good for nothing. And this would be the word that would be used. And so what Paul is saying is don't let your words be like a worthless, spoiled fish or a cluster of rotten grapes. Don't let your words be like that. But only, this is what your word should be, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. According to their needs. So what Paul is promoting is that very thought that you need to give consideration to the people that are hearing what it is you're about to say, will this be of benefit to them? Will this be helpful to them? Listen, there are people that you're going to cross paths with this week that very likely the only kind word that they're going to hear all week long is going to be something that comes from your mouth if you choose to say something kind to them. This very day, you may go from here today. And I don't know what your plans are. You may be going out to eat, so you may have um, a waiter or waitress at your table. For all you know, 
that person, and you may be thinking, boy, they aren't attending to our needs very well. We asked for napkins 10 minutes ago, and we still haven't gotten it. For all you know, their home life right now is an absolute mess. And, and that's where they just came from and started their shift. And so that's where their mind is on all the headaches and everything associated with that. Or maybe their shift is about ready to end and they know they're going to have to go back home again and step right back into the middle of that mess again. And so maybe that's why they're a little bit forgetful. Maybe that's why that person at the cash register doesn't seem to be giving you the right change is their mind is preoccupied with some of the garbage they're trying to deal with in their life right now. And sometimes, you know, it could be at that very moment if we intentionally are selective in what we say and how we say it, it could very well be the kindest thing that that person is going to hear all week long. It may end up being something that throughout the rest of today they're going to be reflecting on. Not knowing who you were and having a fuzzy memory of even what your face looked like, but boy, they remember the words that you spoke. And they replay those in their mind. And they go to sleep and they wake up in the morning and one of the first thoughts they have in the morning are the words that you spoke to them the day before. Exaggeration? I don't think so. There are people that are caught up very much in the middle of painful lives, painful marriages, painful homes. That person that's working in the next cubicle or the next counter or whatever, <clears throat> they may be kind of keeping to themselves and they don't ever share anything personal. Well, there may be a very good reason why that is. Because their life is a disaster. And they're embarrassed. And it just weighs them down like a ball and chain every day. They just need a little bit of help from someone, even someone they don't know very well. That can just help them pick their chin up a little bit with a kind word, a kind statement. And that's the potential. That's the potential that we have. And that's not even going into mentioning the potential we have with our spouses, with our children, with our next-door neighbor, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here in a moment, we're going to be dismissing with a prayer. And you're going to go back there and get some coffee or grab a donut. Um, and you might be standing in line with someone who has had a horrible week because someone very near and dear to them has been hospitalized. But Sunday mornings aren't always a format to be able to share that with people. And so they may feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. And there you are standing right next to them. Don't underestimate the value and the potential good of your words. Now, if you want, you can totally disregard all of this. And you can go back to just letting your emotions pull the trigger and speaking for you and if that is your choice I'll be out in the lobby <laughs> with my bar of soap and we'll address it in a different way <laughs> I want to ask if you would stand we're going to close out with a word of prayer 
and we'll consider this the, the close, the end of our service, okay? So thanks for coming today. We appreciate you being here. Whether you realize it or not, your presence is an encouragement to people who are around you. I don't think we say that often enough, but it really is true. And so thank you for encouraging others just by being here. And hopefully you've been blessed with uh, something as well. But of course, the main reason we come isn't for what we get. The main reason we come is to give, give glory to God and express our gratitude to him. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for this morning and the opportunity we've had to be able to to be here in this place. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will use some of the things that we've talked about here today and bring them back to memory as the week goes on. And Lord, that we might be an extension of yours bringing blessing into people's lives around us. Use us in that way, starting in our homes, but certainly not limiting itself to our homes. Might we be that way at work and might we be that way in public, all to your glory. Watch over each one as we go from here this day, Lord. And again, we thank you for the love that we don't deserve. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Have a good